Hi, everybody. Mark Sminiam, and I'm glad you're here. If you're a guest with us, we welcome you. Last weekend, Sam talked about dealing with the many problems of life and how our response to those problems reveals or develops our character one way or another. Today, we want to talk about making great decisions because life is full of decisions and we want to know what it means to make a wise decision. Have you noticed that simply buying a few things from the store that your spouse sends you to used to become uh, easy, but has become very complex? I mean, there used to be one choice, tomato sauce, that was it. Now there's 47 kinds of tomato sauce. And some people a while ago started measuring some of the stress levels of people in, in stores. And, and they're talking about when the more options there is, the more upset or stressed we get. It's about decisions. Some people do not like to make simple decisions. In fact, they get sick over it. Henry Ford, founder of Ford Motor Company, uh, he was asked if, if he could please make some Model Ts in a different color than black. They were all black. And he had a very interesting reply because he was a man that kept it simple. His reply was, you can have a Model T in any color you want, as long as you choose the color black. I read one author this week who wrote and said, we make our decisions, and then our decisions make us. Another author wrote and said, the, the quality of our life will be determined by the multiplicity of small decisions that you and I make. There are big decisions we make. We understand that. Who, we, who do we marry? Or do we even marry? Where shall I work? What sports team shall I cheer for? Then there's the little decisions that we make during the day, like sleep or exercise, read or TV, play or pray. And even these seemingly small decisions, they can change the trajectory of our life. And so take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 5 as we see uh, the brother of James unfold this whole aspect of how can we make decisions wisely. Please stand. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously and to without finding fault, and it'll be given to them. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like the wave of a sea in the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man shall not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is unstable, double-minded, sorry, unstable in all he does. A brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises and scorches heat with, uh, and the, the plant withers. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Lord, teach us what it is to make wise decisions and give that to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I've adapted some material that I got from Rick Warren and an old senior pastor of mine who mentored me years ago, Del McKenzie. They both of them had a series on James and I'm, I'm molding some of that together. So today, how do we become great decision makers? James tells us that the problem is double-mindedness. In verse 8, such a person who is double-minded and unstable in all they do is not a good decision maker. Some Bible scholars say that the term double-minded was one that was coined by James himself. Literally, it means two-souled or double-souled. And many times we're not sure what to do, but we, don't, but we do want to do the absolute opposite things. That's all we know. That great theologian, Dr. Zeus, uh, wrote a book called The Zode Who Couldn't Make Up His Mind. 
I, want to, I don't want to read the whole thing for you, but I need to read a little bit of it. Let me read this. Did I ever tell you about the young Zode who came to two signs in the fork of the road? He looked one way and the other way too, so the Zode had to make his mind up just what to do. While the Zode scratched his head and his chin and his pants, he said to himself, I'll be taking a chance. If I go to place one, then that place may be hot. And so how will I know if I'll like it or not? On the other hand, though, I'll be sort of a fool if I go to place two and find it's too cool. So place one may be best. So he started to go. Then he stopped and he said, on the other hand, though, on the other hand, other hand, other hand, though, and for 36 hours and a half, that poor Zode made starts and he made stops in the fork of the road, saying, don't take a chance. No, you may not be right. Then he got an idea that was wonderfully bright. Play it safe, cried the Zode. I'll play it safe. That, I'm not a dunce. I'll simply start out for both places at once. And that's how the Zode, who would not take a chance, got no place at all but a split in his pants. Interesting. Double-mindedness is destructive if for many reasons, one of which it makes us unstable, unsecure, stressed, and fearful. Double-mindedness for Christians is often because we try to mix the mindsets of our worldly culture together with the, the culture of Jesus. And it doesn't work that way. They don't fit together. The two of those are simply cannot be meshed together. For instance, our culture says, look out for yourself. You're number one. But Jesus says, look out for others. Put them first. The first shall be last, Jesus says. Our culture says, if it feels good, then do it. It must be right because you feel it to be right. Jesus gives us life principles to live by. In fact, absolutes. There is an absolute right and an absolute wrong as well. Our culture says, get all that you can and enjoy the good life. Don't worry about others. But Jesus says, give all that you can away to the poor. Jesus says, live with others in mind and share. You see, when we reflect on things like uh, th that way, we will see that our culture as Christians and the culture of our world is opposed to each other in almost every way. So the problem for us comes when we have conflicting uh, mindsets and try to live both cultures out, in, a, in essence, we become the Zod. The Greek term used for double-mindedness also means be drunk or confused, unstable of mind. In fact, the text says that he will be unstable in all that he does. And in other words, this, this whole double-mindedness bleeds into every area of our life because it causes us to be afraid and upset. This is not God's best for us. This text gives us three examples of instability. Let me walk you through them. Number one, unstable emotions, which means we really can't decide and we fret on the decisions that we have made and the decisions we need to make yet. Some of you might even be thinking today, am I, am I indecisive? Maybe yes, maybe no. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I've been told by some that indecision is the very reason why some restaurants have a daily special. Because it's one less decision to make. You go in, you sit down, you say, I will have the daily special. Interesting. Unstable emotions. Secondly, unstable relationships that hurt and confuse us and those around us. When there's a lack of commitment, that destroys marriages. We're not sure about our spouse and they're not sure about us. 
I remember being asked by a couple a number of years ago to uh, change the vows that they were going to use in their marriage uh, uh, ceremony. That rather than be the, the traditional vows, they wanted to say something like, we, we will stay with each other as long as our love lasts and as long as we can make each other laugh. Parents, when we aren't stable in our ways, in, in our lives, it results in our children being horribly hurt. A friend of mine was sitting in the, in the mall the other day in an area with a number of chairs and some loud teens came and they started talking about her mom's boyfriend and her dad's girlfriend and it was just a mess. And then she said, where does that leave me? The worst area of instability is when we are unstable in our walk with God, in our spiritual life, because we don't trust God. We don't believe that God is good and God is great. That a man should not, verse 7, think he will receive anything from the Lord if that's the way we ask. Living this way in our spiritual lives blocks our prayers and blocks God giving us what he really wants to give us. Living life spiritually on Sunday and yet being a zode from Monday to Saturday will wreck our lives. Some Christians try to do that. They're one face headed one way and the other face headed the other way and they have a hard time in their walk with God. Well, in James 5, James gives us the solution, which is we need to get wisdom. And James goes on to show us the three practical ways how we can get wisdom. Number one, admit our need. Number two, God, ask the God of wisdom to give us wisdom. And number three, expect that he will do just that. First, admit our need. Verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, ask. This takes humility. And for some people, that's too difficult. To most of us, it's obvious. We need help. We ask for wisdom. We, we ask the giver of all wisdom to help us. But for some people, it's difficult because they would rather look good than be good. They would rather be stuck in their lives than take a risk and trust other people that they would know that they don't have everything all together. Some Christians like that in our complete independence don't pray and ask God. They don't pray about business deals. They don't pray about large decisions in their family. They don't pray about a lot of things because either they don't believe in God or they don't believe in prayer. They don't think he listens. Some people say, oh, just stay positive. That's all you need is just stay positive. No, you need wisdom. There's a second group who are unbelievingly and they think that God doesn't care at all and God is too small. So why, do I, why shall I ask him? Scripture is clear why we ask. Because in the asking, it draws us to himself. There's many steps forward that we need to take as wise people. And God can give us those steps. Let's stop for just a, a moment and, and ask the question, what kind of wisdom are we asking for? Because there's many kinds of wisdom. Let's kind of define that. Wisdom is not just knowledge. But it is the ability to put knowledge to practice. It's seeing life from God's perspective. It is making decisions with maturity. And God can give us that. It is understanding how much our cultures clash and, and choose the way of Jesus rather than the way and the culture of our world. Degrees from various colleges and universities are very important to our culture. But what we need is much more than just information. It's correct problem-solving from, and, and, and the problem is our heart is divided. For instance, we all know lawyers who know the law, but they personally break it. We know of pharmacists, some who know of the destructiveness of drugs, and yet some of them are addicts. We know of pastors who know about God's love and grace, and yet they don't carry that on into their church as they lead the church. We all know of mothers and fathers who know they're supposed to love their kids, but they simply don't 
or can't. The issue is not about knowledge. The issue is, the deal is, will we be obedient and, and, and correct the brokenness of our heart because of God in our life? That overrides all knowledge that we have. That's why God says to us, every one of us, you need wisdom and you need to choose obedience, both of which come from me. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2 states, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. The admission of a lack of wisdom in the, is in the beginning wisdom itself. And we make, make a choice that we need wisdom. The Bible tells us, number one, admit our need. Number two, ask God for wisdom. Second part of verse five, if any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God. It's a clear instruction for us. But to do so uh, means we don't ask elsewhere. We don't ask Oprah. We don't ask some self-help group. We ask God, the source of all wisdom in life. And he longs to give us that. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Think with me. If God were to say to you or me, I'll give you one gift of anything you wish, what would that be? Some would say more money. Some would say, I want more power, more prestige. What would, what would you say? God asked a man named Solomon, who was going to be the next king. His dad was dead. He was the next guy in line, and he was over his head. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7, it says he, um, Solomon is re reporting back to God what he would like. Um, he says, but I am only a child. I do not know how to carry out all my duties. Your servant is here among these people that you have chosen, and they are great people, too numerous to count or number. So give me your servant, give me your servant, uh, a discerning heart. Some translations call that a wise heart. So I will know how to govern your people. Solomon declares, I am nothing more than a punk, and I am in big trouble. I need your wisdom, Lord. Actually, the Hebrew means I need to hear you speaking to me. And when God speaks, because he speaks with wisdom, I can lead better. And God was pleased with his choice and blessed Solomon beyond his ability. It wasn't wisdom he was asking for. He was asking for a listening heart to hear the very voice of God. That's wisdom, though. The main point in the book of Proverbs is for young men and women to live a life of wisdom. It means that they would choose to ask God for his wisdom and then commit themselves to a life of obeying wisdom. You have to not only choose it, but obey it. So I say it again. If we don't have wisdom, it becomes we haven't, it's because we haven't admitted that we have a need, which takes humility. And secondly, we haven't asked God because that takes obedience. And many of the people in our world are disobedient. There's something else, though, I want you to see in the last part of verse 5. He, shouldn't, he should ask God. This text literally says, ask and keep on asking. Never stop asking. The author could be written this. It could have written another way. Ask once and, believe, and be done with it. He doesn't say that. He says, ask and be asking. Because it's in the asking that bolsters our, leader, our, our obedience to God. It's in the asking that we are reflecting ourselves. And in humility, we want to follow him in all that he gives us to do. Without a doubt, the prayers that I pray every day, the most often prayer that I pray is, oh Lord, I need wisdom for my family, for the church, to be the person you want me to be. 
And in asking every day, it reminds me that God is God, I am not. He is wisdom, I am not. But he will share his wisdom with me if we ask. First, admit our needs. Second, ask God for wisdom. Third, expect that when we ask God, he will answer and give us wisdom. Verse 6, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. God asks us to ask him, but we need to ask the right way. That isn't simply using some flowery language or words or begging for God. He is asking us to ask him by faith, which means we expect that he will, he will answer us. And as we previously have asked for wisdom, he will direct us through the wisdom that God gives. This is where we do not treat God like a vending machine. You don't put the right change in and get the prize you want. It means we pray obediently. And as God directs us, as we pray, he gives us wisdom and he gives us faith, which means we are to believe what the Bible says when it states that God is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. Now, this isn't easy. But our faith is in Jesus, who is called the author and perfecter of our faith. I remind you of that story in Matthew chapter 14. The disciples were on the boat in the Sea of Galilee and in the middle of a huge storm and Jesus came walking on the water. And Peter, as only Peter would do, said, Lord, let me come out there with you. And Jesus said, yes. What happened next? It says what usually happens to many of us. Matthew 14, 30, it says, and then Peter saw the wind and the waves and he was afraid. And he began to sink. The truth of the matter is, when the storms of life hit us and the winds of life destroy our perspective of who God is, we forget that he is great and he is good. We forget that we are his children and he is committed to to meeting our needs. This is when we sink. Some of you have huge decisions and problems that you're facing. I remind you to choose what you will focus upon today. Your perspective needs to be looking at Jesus. Even in the middle of a problem, you focus on him, not, your, not the storm itself. Hebrews eleven six. if we are reminded that without faith, it is impossible to please God. God sometimes puts us in positions that grow our faith because no one who comes to him must, all who come to him must believe that he is and he is the rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Those who seek God are those who have learned or are learning about the character of God. He is generous and he loves us. The promise from God is next in that text. And it says, he will give us wisdom. If anyone lacks wisdom, ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault or guilt, making us guilty, and it will be given unto you. God wants us to have wisdom and he wants to be the person that gives it to us. Life is not some big clue game to to guess through to be successful. God, God doesn't want that. He longs to help us with perspective and decisions and giving us wisdom. Many people don't understand this because they don't understand the very character of who God is. The literal translation, by the way, in this verse five, is if any of you wants wisdom, let him ask the giving God who gives to all people, unreservedly and without feeling guilty. God gives because he can't help himself. That's who he is in the very essence of his goodness. The character quality of God is often seen through scripture. For instance, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave. Can't help himself. So let's answer the question, how does he give? 
Firstly, he gives continually. He gives in a never-ending way. And therefore, we, have alert, we need to learn the lesson of never stopping our prayer time, asking for things and asking for wisdom. Second, God, uh, is giving, uh, God's giving is generous. He is an unlimited resource. The term that is used here is he's single-eyed. His, he is preoccupied with one thing and one thing only. He is God. So watch how I say that. And that is giving you and I wisdom. Thirdly, God gives to all who ask. Verse 5 said, God has an unlimited recipients of his wisdom. Even non-believing people, he will give them wisdom if they humble themselves and ask. God gives. Fourthly, God gives without finding any fault. He doesn't hold it against us. He's gracious. Now to wrap this up, let's look in verses 9 to 11, the example of wisdom. Here's where James uses money as an example. Many Christians are under financial bondage, but this is not a teaching on how wealth is temporary. He is talking, we'll talk later about that in this book. He is talking here and teaching here about both the poor people and the wealthy people are temporary. If poor people have a wise perspective, then they will recognize all that God has already given them, salvation and hope and peace and belonging. If poor people have gained God's wisdom, then they will have learned the lesson not to allow longing for money to replace the longing for the wisdom of God. Now, in the same way, the rich are given this example. Their perspective should be the same, that their life is fleeting like a wild flower in the scorching sun. And if they were wise, they would not allow the pursuit of money to replace the pursuit of God's wisdom. And so as close as I, uh, I, I can say, they, we, rich or poor, whoever you are, you need the wisdom of God. And he says, ask and keep asking. And so I give that last verse to you and remind you of that last verse. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all and without fault, it will be given to you. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you for this time. Take this text. Change your people. Thank you for the wisdom that only you can give us. Thank you that you love to give us wisdom. We wait upon you now in Jesus' name. Amen.